And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined today as always by the Athletic Senior Writer, Chris Vanini. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed. Andy and Ari and the whole gang always have something cooking, so you'll want to stay tuned all throughout the offseason. Plus, this coaching carousel just never ends, so there's always going to be something to talk about. And we have plenty on today's episode of Power Hour, where we'll break down everything you know that you need to know in college football in an hour or less. Before we dive into the business of college football and changes and all these different things, um, there is some serious news that we wanted to make sure that we mentioned off the top. And and Chris, I'm going to let you take this away since you are a Michigan State grad. Yeah, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. So this is you know, the morning after a shooter killed uh, at the moment, three people wounded at least five others on the Michigan State campus and just a horrific situation everybody in the community i know is is hurting uh seeing you know news reports and, and police with guns storming into a hall like berkey hall where i had a bunch of classes at the time and just we know everybody there is hurting nicole's been on a bunch as well it's it's a very special place to a lot of people and so we just wanted to give our best to the michigan state community We'll continue to be thinking of them. And um, as everybody tries to get through this, just a really horrific situation. It is. And um, our, we are thinking, we are praying for everyone infected and also everyone who was terrorized and in fear for, for multiple hours on Monday night. Um, obviously much bigger than sports. So we wanted to make sure that we mentioned that and then we will get to uh, things that are far less uh, immediate or, or impactful than that. Uh, but that is the job. So we will talk about the news of the day in college football. And as we always do, we'll start with the Power Five. Uh, in true Power Hour fashion, we give ourselves about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds. And it's time to move on to the next. Um, right before we started recording this, uh, this news broke. So, Chris, I will let you set this up, but massive news involving the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, number one, offense coordinator Todd Monken has left to take the Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator job. And in addition, our Seth Emerson uh, first reported that Mike Bobo is going to be the new offensive coordinator for the Georgia Bulldogs. He's been on staff, I believe, as an analyst. He's a former longtime offensive coordinator uh, for Mike Rick, uh, Mark Richt and as a former player there. Just a lot of you know deep Georgia ties for Mike Bobo. So pretty big change there. Georgia's offense among the best in the country the last few years. You know, Stetson Bennett did lead Georgia to two national championships, but you got to remember the guy that was designing the offense. Uh, remarkable, exciting, big play offense that Todd Mockin 
uh, led. And now it's the second time he's left college for the NFL. He was the Southern Miss head coach for three years before he left for the Tampa Bay Bucks offense coordinator job. Now he's going from Georgia to the Ravens. So it seemed like he wanted to get uh, back in the NFL. Yes. And this is obviously a familiar name for Georgia fans, Mike Bobo. Um, So there is that certainly. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how that offense changes and what Mike Bobo brings. Um, He is famously known for uh, fans calling for him to run the ball. So we will see what the wrinkles look like. And you do have to give a lot of credit to Todd Munkin for how he opened things up, got really creative with the tight ends and all of the different pieces to to that offense, which made it really fun to watch last year with Stetson Bennett uh, under center again. Um, that is big news. We will have lots of coverage throughout the offseason of all of these offensive coordinator changes. What is it going to mean? What are these teams going to look like? Uh, so another revolving door there as we continue on coaching carousel season. Number two, the Pac-12 released a statement on Monday, and I'm just going to read it. It's very short. It said, quote, the 10 Pac-12 universities look forward to consummating successful media rights deal deals in the very near future. Based upon positive conversations with multiple potential media rights partners over the past few weeks, we remain highly confident in our future growth and success as a conference and united in our commitment to one another. This comes on the heels of some reporting and speculation. And we had a big piece on The Athletic last week about how it's gone, how it's taken so long, what it means that the Big 12 leapfrog the Pac-12 and got their media rights extension done before the Pac-12s is done. And also some details just around the lofty expectations that George Klyovkov had about what that value would be for each school each year, which media companies might be involved, um, and just the perception that there was some overpromising on the front end. And we still wait. We wait for this media rights deal. We wait to see how much is streaming. We wait to see the grant of rights securing these schools to each other. But really, in the wake of, you know, the Big 12 and Oklahoma and Texas nailing down their exit agreement, you have to think that the Big 12 is also going to be pretty aggressive and pursue any last expansion that they want to do. So it's an interesting and very defensive statement from the Pac-12. It is very reminiscent of those vote of the dreaded vote of confidence when things are not going well. So I think people had a, a lot of curious reactions to this statement coming out on Monday. Yeah, I I could be wrong, but this very much felt to me like a reaction to our story from last Thursday about the state of all of conference realignment. And in that story, we had people around the Pac-12 who were getting a little bit antsy, people who kind of wanted to get this done people who felt that um, George Klavkoff may have overpromised on, on, on money and potential media partners. Uh, we don't know for sure, but it felt very Pac-12 to release a generic nothing statement four days after the story came, <laughs> four days after the story came out. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. That is really the thing everybody's waiting for is what happens there. Is it ESPN and Amazon? Is it something else? Do they get around that 30 31 million dollar per school range that the big 12 got and is that enough to keep anybody from jumping to the big 12 the big 12 is going to be very very aggressive and try to pull pac-12 schools but it still feels like at this time that pac-12 schools don't want to leave now it's up to 
George Klavkoff and the leaders to make sure they don't give them a reason to want to leave. Number three. Okay, so that brings us. Yeah, yeah that brings us right into number three. So um, this involves you personally. Yeah. Speaking of George uh, Klavkoff, uh, he was at SMU on Wednesday night. Uh, I know this because I went there and I saw him, and I bought twenty dollars binoculars to go find him. And I, uh, me and a uh, uh, Joe Hoyt from the Dallas Morning News, uh, I, uh, we spotted him in a suite up at the top. He was flanked by two uh, other Pac-12 officials uh, trying to hide conspicuously in, in an NBA Finals hat and just kind of wearing uh, the black quarter zip and stuff like that. Um, it was it was not supposed to get out uh, that he was visiting, but the Action Network first reported that he would visit. On three reported he would be at the basketball game. So I said, all right, I'm going to go find him. And so SMU people would not say anything about this. They like they did not want this out, um, but it got out. And so it kind of put them in a weird spot, but they, they wouldn't confirm he was there. They wouldn't say anything on or off the record uh, to pull back the curtain a bit. But uh, yes, the Pac-12 is interested in SMU very much. So that's what a commissioner visit means. We'll have more on, on SMU in a minute. But uh, yeah, that was a fun little uh, adventure I had on Wednesday. Yeah, you keep bringing up how these were $20 binoculars, and I feel like that's like a very reasonably priced binocular. I know you're trying to expense it and, and get that money back, but Chris, <laughs> I mean, you're just very fixated. You needed a tool. You got the tool. Now you have binoculars. You could become a bird watcher. You could do whatever you want with them. Yeah, I specific, like I specifically got them for that trip. I know a lot of football writers have them. They take them to football games. You look on the sideline, you, you know, if somebody's injured, yada, yada. I've never really done that. But I said, hey, this is a good time to do it. I went to Walmart. Uh, the $10 binoculars I was going to buy were not there. Uh, they were supposed to be, but they were not. So I ended up with the, with the better ones. And I think that was a good call. I, I think I needed the better ones because he ended up mm -hmm. being pretty far away. So I am keeping them. I'm not returning them. So if anybody makes a, a secret appearance at a sports game, I will be ready. And the Dallas Morning News snapped a very much uh, clearer eagle eye view, and you can definitely see that it's George Klavkov. It's, it's a very interesting dynamic because, as you mentioned, I mean, he was trying to be incognito, didn't originally want this to be out there, but you don't need to go in person to do realignment in 2023. Like, you can do all this over the phone or over Zoom. And you also don't need to go to an actual game in a high profile event. And so to do that, there were people I were talking to that made him think that thought that maybe he is nearing the finish line on this and, and was okay with that being so public because that was something that we don't always see um, out of a commissioner and, and certainly not in, in a realignment period like this, where it's so obvious. Um, speaking of realignment, number four, the Oklahoma and Texas news is official. They are going to the SEC for the 2024 season. This was something we were waiting on, and we were there were a lot of people who were just kind of hoping it could get done just a year early because it's awkward. It's a divorce, and you're living together for multiple years, and you're processing that, and it's just it's it's tough. I think that the Oklahoma school and Texas officials want to plan for the future. They want to be in SEC meetings. They want to be doing all that they need to do for the future and the big 12 already has their new member schools they're joining this summer so you're going to have this 14 team conference now you've got the replacement schools you're going to be up to 12 when they leave anyway 
Um, it's also the first year of the, the college football playoff when the Power Five conferences will essentially have auto bids. So you also avoid the potential awkwardness of Texas or Oklahoma winning the Big 12's auto bid for the CFP that year. Um, all in all, I just think everyone's ready to move on and get this done. But you needed to make sure that everyone involved in the negotiations was going to be happy with this. And you needed to know what was good, what Fox was going to get out of this. Now, we know that there's uh, Texas and Oklahoma are going to basically not accept $100 million. So that's essentially their exit fee uh, in, in their distributions. And then we know uh, we think we think Fox is getting money. We also know that the uh, Texas and Michigan football game in, in 2024 is flipping. So the game will be at Ann Arbor and it will be a Fox game in assuming it's going to be a Fox game and that that's where the value is. Because if you think about what Fox was losing, you're losing Texas and Oklahoma inventory. And those are big, big brands. Those are big eyeballs. And so you flip that game game is played at Michigan and they can control it and people are happy. And so again, I think the bigger thing here is that everyone is moving closer to finally being done with each other and moving on into what these leagues are going to look like moving forward but uh, but yeah, uh, that's just one year early and it now aligns up. So you'll have Texas and Oklahoma in the first year of the SEC, USC, UCLA, first year of the Big Ten and the 12 team playoff. All of that will start now in the fall of 2024. So finally, finally done. We've talked about this for a lot this offseason. Finally, final. You know, when the, when this came out and, and the terms were mostly disclosed i kept thinking what exactly is the big 12 getting out of this why is this a positive for them it was spun a few ways as like this was a great move by brett yormark and i was like why they're just foregoing future money they were going to get you're not really getting much out of it and essentially talking to some people around it it was essentially look everybody just kind of wanted to be done with it Nobody, nobody wanted to drag this out into a lawsuit about trying to leave early, potentially. And ultimately, I think Oklahoma and Texas are are, are paying less to get out than they normally would have otherwise, um, some people believe. So ultimately, the Big 12 didn't get much out of this other than just we can move forward now and do this without them. So ultimately, you know, we all knew when this happened back in 2021 that Oklahoma and Texas were not going to stay throughout the entire uh uh, contract to the end of the end of the big 12 situation. And ultimately they got there by just sort of waiting it out and lines up good for everybody. And off we go. Number five, some Notre Dame coaching news, longtime offensive line coach, Harry Highstand uh, has retired. Uh, he was the offensive line coach for most of the last decade, developed some really, really good offensive line, but one of the best in the country at that job, a very big hole uh, there for Notre Dame, but there's another hole that's still open, and that is the offensive coordinator job. Colin Klein, the Kansas State offensive coordinator, uh, is staying at Kansas State. Andy Ludwig, the Utah offensive coordinator, is staying at Utah, believed to be around a $2 million buyout. That was kind of a, a hang-up there. So Notre Dame offensive coordinator job still open and the offensive line job now. So the fact that Marcus Freeman is now going into the season with some pretty big holes on that offensive staff uh, and has not filled, especially the OC job yet is, uh, is pretty notable. It is. So again, like the carousel is not over. We are 
recording this on Valentine's Day, and it continues onward with some pretty important high-profile positions that still need to get filled. Um, Chris, I'm going to assign you some homework. You can make a giant chart of all of the offensive coordinator movement this offseason because I would like to see that in visual form. I think that's going to be one of the stories heading into the season is what all of these different programs, uh, what, what these offenses look like, what scheme, what personnel, recruiting, all of that looks like with so much movement at that important position. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Um, it is time, though, to move into our happy hours part of the show. We talk about things we're excited about, and there's always something. And I want to start on the, on the realignment front, and then I want to get into something I just mentioned about everything that's coming in 2024. Even though it's still 2023, we can look ahead. But, Chris, I want to talk about realignment and what the opportunity could be here for San Diego State and SMU it's been a little minute here since anyone has officially jumped conferences, but we did see a lot of movement up, right? Perceived to go up from group of five to a power five level. Um, when you look at like the big 12s editions, like they went out and got the most valuable ones. They went out and got Cincinnati and UCF and Houston. Um, it's, it, it's definitely an interesting dynamic here with San Diego state because the Pac-12 right now does not have any schools in Southern California. And we, we know that George Klyovkov has talked about having events in LA, right? That it's still part of the footprint for this conference. But if you want to be in that footprint and have a school there, San Diego State is basically your only option. And they've really invested in their facilities and their programs. Um, and th they would be that candidate. And then if you think about it from a perspective of if you don't grab them, is the Big 12 going to grab them for those same reasons to be in Southern California um, and to extend? We know that Brett Yormark wants to be on the West Coast and be in another time zone. Uh, so, yeah, so this just it feels like a good time to be San Diego State. You've got to feel wanted and you got to feel like you bring a lot of value. SMU is a more interesting one to me, and I know you're more familiar with them, but that's a really small school. Are you surprised that they're in the conversation here for potential Pac-12 expansion? No. And it's it's important to start this off by saying that like neither of these teams and nobody who's on the board as an expansion candidate really moves the needle from a television perspective. That is what drove realignment. Last time you had, you know, you had UCLA, USC, Texas, Oklahoma, big, you know, TV viewership schools. And then to a lesser extent, UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, BYU were the only ones left outside the Power Five that did that. San Diego State and SMU don't really do that. But what they do have are these natural advantages of location. 
you just laid out San Diego State being in Southern California. The Pac-12 wants to be in Southern California. The Big 12 also wants to be in Southern California. As for SMU, it's a, it's a small private school. It's about 6,000 undergrads, 6,000 grad students, I think. Um, attendance has gotten better. It was up to, I think, 24,000 last week. But look, this is Dallas. They don't really move the needle. It's a Dallas Cowboys town. You've got Kyrie Irving and the Mavs and Luca here. You've got the Stars. You've got Texas and Texas A&M fans, Oklahoma fans around here. There's a lot going on here. But SMU does have the location. It has a whole lot of money and a lot of boosters who are willing to spend it. And it gets you into the central time zone if you're the Pac-12. Just like the Big 12 wants to get into the Pacific time zone, it could be advantageous for the Pac-12 to get into the central time zone, to add another TV window, essentially, to have games. The most interesting part about this to me, about those two schools, is that they may actually have quite a bit of leverage here as defensive plays. If you're the Pac-12, the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever you are, and you don't really want to expand because it might dilute your, your, your shares or whatever, you also don't want the Big 12 to come in to, and take San Diego State. And if you're the Big 12, do you want the Pac-12 moving into Dallas, moving into Texas? And, you know, I reported last summer that SMU had had talks with the Big 12, with the ACC, with the Pac-12, just kind of exploratory conversations of like, hey, like, here's what we have to offer. And so there's kind of a defensive potential going on here where – no, TCU probably doesn't want SMU in the Big 12. Baylor probably doesn't want SMU in the Big 12. Houston, too. But is it better for the Big 12 to add SMU, or is it better for the Big 12 to let the Pac-12 into Texas? These are the different dynamics going on. And while these two schools may not be heavy hitters financially, they may actually have some leverage in this. Well, and especially just because we've seen this dynamic being playing out, right, where um... – you know, it's it's a bit of a pissing contest between the yes. Pac-12 and the Big 12. So you've had a war of words. You've had some of these movements. I personally think that is maybe why George Klyovkov is okay with being seen at that basketball game. You're in the middle of Texas. You're in Big 12 country, and you're aggressive in pursuing one of these potential schools. Um, so I, I think that that's something certainly to track. We also depends who you talk to on whether or not they think that the expansion piece will be done before the PAC 12 media deal or opposite. Klyovkov had said that it would do, it would be media deal and then pursue expansion possibilities. Some people are still under that assumption. It's possible too, that media partners want to know who's going to be in the league and what the inventory will specifically look like before they sign their deals. So we just don't know, but a lot of this needs to get done here in the upcoming weeks. Uh, it's a big deal, and it's it's kind of the last major domino here um, in a period that could then maybe calm down. Knock on wood, I probably just jinxed it. Which brings me to a lot of the, the fallout of, of everything that's happened over the last two years has resulted in 2024 being kind of a changing of the guard moment for college football. So much is happening at the same time because – of all of the multiple rounds of realignment because of a lot of processes we've seen out play out over the last two years, including the 18th month effort to expand the college football playoff. Andy wrote about this on the athletic, but this is all happening at once. Like it is really worth pointing out how much is changing in 2024. Like you're going to have 16 member sec, 16 member big 10 
and a 12-team college football playoff. That's significant. Yeah, it's it's the sport is going to be completely different in 2024. And I got to say, like, so what, what are we most excited about here? Like, like, is it USC and UCLA in the Big Ten? Is it the CFP expansion? Is it is it the new SEC? Nicole, what are you most excited about when it comes to what's going to be different in 2024? It's, it's the playoff because, you know, we've spent a lot of time and energy sitting outside of those meetings and thinking about the impact that this was going to have on the sport. So I'm interested in seeing, okay, what does this really look like if every single FBS team starts the season with a path to making the playoff? What is it going to look like when we get to mid-November and we still have a giant at-large pool, teams that are under consideration or could be in consideration for those last few at-large spots? I, I'm just so curious to see how this actually plays out. And I think it will lead to some more stability. When you think about like, we're just talking about the PAC 12 and potential expansion. Um, There are people in that league that believe that we're about to enter a period of relative stability because of playoff expansion, because Mm -hmm. well, also because you have Kevin Warren leaving the big 10. So you have perhaps the, the people who wanted to expand into Pacific Northwest you know, they didn't have the numbers, but also if they're not there and they're not influential voices, then you feel a little bit better if you're the Pac-12 about keeping everyone together. But you're also entering a world where your champion is basically guaranteed a spot in the playoff and you have the chance to get other at large teams. So if you are the Pac-12 and you're bringing teams in um, and, and you're in a league right now that is on the upswing. We've talked about this a lot about how excited we are for so many of these teams next year and like the, the quarterbacks and, and you just feel good, right? Like we can, you can do out the math, right? If, if the league stays where it is relative to its others, you're going to have multiple teams in the playoff. But if you have that direct access and you don't have to talk about the PAC 12 drought and, and not being part of something, that changes the calculation too. If you're Oregon, aren't you better off staying in the Pac-12 and winning the Pac-12 and having an easier path to make the college football playoff? Like that piece changes some of this too. So I do think that there will be some stability in that, in having an expanded playoff. But I just think the access and the fact that we will be talking about so many more teams come mid-November, that part's going to be really, really fun. So yeah, I mean, I'd love to see USC and UCLA come you know, play a November game at the shoe or the big house or something. But I'm mostly excited to see like how that impacts the way that the season feels. Yes. We won't freak out when like Alabama loses a game or Georgia loses a game because we know they have mulligans, but the rest of it's going to be a really fun dynamic. That's what I'm most excited for. Here's the thing. They already have mulligans. Georgia lost last year and won the national championship. <laughs> TCU lost this year, made the national championship. That's already the case. Look, I'm excited about the playoff. I'm excited about the new games we're going to get. But what I'm most excited about for 2024 is the return of the EA Sports College Football video game. This is the biggest news coming out in 2024. It was supposed to be a 2023 release. It got pushed back. They're working very hard on the game. It's been, it'll have been basically a decade since we got it. It's going to have the playoff. It's going to have the new conferences. It's going to have all the stuff. It's going to have real players in the game uh, officially this time. But that's what I'm most excited about. That'll come out right before the 2024 season, most likely, because that's usually when the game comes out. It was usually like July, I think, is when it released. So I wrote a big story about the game back in the fall. 
uh, all of us college football video game heads who have, have gone a long time without that game. That, to me, is the biggest paradigm shift for 2024 college football. It really is going to change the culture around the sport. The sport has missed it. It has lacked a connection to the younger audience. Legitimately very excited about it. Yeah, and you're not alone. I mean, when this thing got delayed a year, there was, I mean, I'm pretty sure grown men cried. Like it's it's been yes. it's been a long time coming. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So uh, we do need to move on and, and talk about things that are, are, are not bringing us the same type of joy and it's time to go on the rocks. It's time to talk it out. There is some friction somewhere in this sport and we are here to help work through it. This week's rocky relationship is between fans and the refs. Really, it's about the, the state of officiating. Um, there were there's certainly major calls that everyone's been talking about coming out of the Super Bowl. There have been major calls coming out of the weekend in college basketball, notably the ending of the Virginia Duke game. It is not great. It is not great. And Chris, um, I'm curious if you think that this is, is this just a, a byproduct of technology? Like, are, do you, like, would you rather go back 20 years and not have all of these camera angles, not know that these calls are missed, or would you rather have them and then just everyone be pissed off about it later? Yeah, look, it, it, it's kind of unavoidable. We have better camera angles. Stuff more stuff is going to be seen. Like you and I both have a fair and, and understanding relationship of officiating. We've done stories on officials. We've spent time with them to see you know, kind of what the job is and all that stuff. But you talk about the Super Bowl. You've got college basketball, some blown calls like the Duke Virginia game. You've got Pac-12 refs in the Pro Bowl. Maybe maybe end of the Pro Bowl with it with a questionable call that flag football game. Uh, sports fans and officials have a very bad relationship right now. And it's a very, very tough situation. I would say that it's important to know that almost all of these officials are not full-time employees. I think that's a big problem. Most of them have other full-time jobs that they're doing elsewhere. They, they, they get money for doing this, but they mostly just do it because they really love the sports and, and what they do. And you look at the, the travel schedule for some of these college basketball officials, you've got guys going from like, west coast to midwest in one day and calling games on back-to-back days and it it, it really is a problem and there's a a pipeline problem down the road coming as well because everybody hates officials because parents hate officials at youth sports you're not getting as many referees at the lower level so 
it's got to be better, no doubt. But I would just caution everybody to maybe have a little bit more uh, empathy in, in, in certain situations. It has never been more difficult to be a referee. Athletes are faster, stronger, better than ever. Um, but sometimes you got to get it right. And a lot of, you always got to get it right. And sometimes they just miss it. And that sucks. I agree with you on the on the point about uh, independent contractors. Um, something I've written about for a number of years, at least like eight years ago in college hoops, was the idea of nationalizing officiating, like we see in pro sports, um, and and standardizing thing. Instead of celebrating the refs, or not celebrating, but highlighting the travel and the insane schedules that they're doing, uh, which happens happened during some of these college hoops games, where you see they're you know working like seven games in seven days in all different parts of the country, like that's not great. That's not great for anyone. But if you're a good ref and you're in demand and you want to be there and you're getting your paycheck per day you work, that's going to happen. And so you could have a better system. But I think just in general, you know, we are in a position across all sports where I think every officiating oversight system is is thinking about this. Every replay system is thinking about this. You know, how often do you want to correct things? Do you call from command centers to overturn things? Um, it, it's a problem. And then you have what happened with, with Duke and Virginia late at night. Um, you get a statement from the ACC saying the refs messed up. Uh, and it's like, you know, that can be factored in as you evaluate tournament resumes. Like the selection committee knows that, but it's not the same as getting it right. And it just, it's not good. It's not a good look for, for any of these sports that, that when you come out of, uh, of an amazing weekend or whatever game it is, that that's what people are talking about. So it's an ongoing issue. It's not just in college football. It's everywhere. But it's something that absolutely needs to be uh, thought about or, or fixed in a thoughtful way, for sure. Um, it is time for our last call as we wrap up the power hour for the week. This is the part of the show where it's cheers or jeers. It's whatever we want. If we want to get one last rant in as the bar is closing, we do that. If we want to celebrate something one last time, we do that. It's whatever you might be doing as the bar is closing and you got a chance for one final round. Chris, I'll go first. My cheers, my last call goes to Rihanna. I have seen some criticism of the halftime show, notably that she didn't have surprise guests or things that people get excited about in most years, that she didn't move around a ton, like she didn't dance a ton. Well, you know what? She was pregnant and we found <laughs> out this was the way that she decided to reveal to the world that she was pregnant. She dropped us hints all week and we missed them where she said that she was going to have one special guest and that it was really important to her to do the show this year to show how amazing moms can be. Like she said all this stuff and we just did not get it. Because we're like, well, she just had a baby, whatever. No, she's going to have like two under two. It's going to be crazy in the Rihanna family household. But she was incredible. She made it a focal point. It was obvious. And then her reps confirmed it afterwards. I thought the set list was phenomenal. It was one of the things, I think you tweeted this after it ended. But when Rihanna started to perform... And even in the lead up, like we was arguing with my friends who I was watching the game with, of like, what, what, what do we think the first song was going to be? Which song do we like really need to hear? She has so many bangers 
that so many. She didn't even play them all. Like that is an incredible, incredible uh, inventory. Like her catalog is so deep and so good. So I enjoyed it. I liked when she went like way flying up into the into the air. I was a little nervous for her because yeah. I mean that's like hundreds and hundreds of feet high. Um, I didn't, I didn't hate that. She didn't dance that much. I did not hate that. She didn't have a bunch of surprise guests because you know what? That halftime show is short and I want to actually hear the songs of the person whose halftime show it is. And so I thought she was phenomenal. I love that she did it. And I loved the set list. I know they had like 40 different variations of that. They picked the right one. Yeah. I don't know who these people are complaining about the halftime show because i thought it was incredible and yeah she maybe she didn't move around so much and i thought that at the time but when you find out that she's pregnant yeah that makes sense and and your point about the catalog like she's only 34 and her catalog list is insane i was sitting there afterward like upset that we didn't get disturbia that we didn't get a couple like we didn't get that we didn't get love the way you lie we didn't get um don't stop the music like there were so many big songs that we still didn't get yeah quickly Disturbia, I'm, I am surprised by. Actually, we, we were debating. We thought that that could be the first song played, actually. So mm-hmm. that wasn't there. The other one, like Love the Way You Lie, that's just too slow. I just She has some, some great songs that were just, I feel like, going to be a little bit too slow for that setting. Yeah, I mean, I mean Shut Up and Drive would have worked. Like it just It's really a credit to her. She was like 22, I think, when Umbrella came out. And, and so that was just remarkable. So I thought the show was great. I love the set and what they did. It looked a little wobbly when they zoomed in, so I'm, I'm glad everybody's okay. But uh, that was heck of a performance there by Rihanna, and I hope that the college football playoff can at some point get a, a show like that at halftime. Quick question. Did the costumes make you think of uh, Squid Game? No, it made me think of like the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters or the Michelin Man. Okay, mine were definitely thinking Squid Game. And I was like, it's a little old, like a little bit dated of, as a reference. Like we've all kind of moved on culturally. But uh, that was the only, like the, the dancer costumes could have been a little bit different. But I thought it was awesome. It takes a lot for me not to like a halftime show. Like the weekends wasn't very good. But like most of the time I'm happy, particularly happy here. The songs were all amazing. She sounded great. She looked great. And to do it all pregnant, just remarkable. So cheers to Rihanna. Yep. My cheers is to the XFL. Football is not over, folks. The Super Bowl is over and the XFL starts this weekend. Version 3.0 of the league. They tried this in 2001. Uh, it, it blew up and then fell apart. They tried it in 2020, which I really liked that 2020 season. And then COVID ended it and the league went into bankruptcy. But it's back again. The league is now owned by The Rock. We've got head coaches like Bob Stoops and Heinz Ward and Wade Phillips and, and some others. That kicks off on Saturday. I've got a, a Q&A with Bob Stoops up today, Tuesday, about why he's doing this again and also some thoughts on Oklahoma. I'll have another story later this week about A.J. McCarron, who is uh, maybe the most notable quarterback in the league and is uh, trying to get back to the NFL. Uh, so if, if, if you want some more football, the XFL is here. The USFL is coming a bit later in the spring, but – I would give the XFL a shot because there are some really cool rule changes that I really like the kickoff. If you haven't seen the XFL kickoff, I think you will like it. They also don't have extra points. You do a one, two or three point conversion. So there are some fun uh, quirks to the league. And I think people should uh, give it a, give it a shot at some point. 
Uh, I will just echo that, that the, the different point conversions, very fun. Also, a second and last second cheers here for my last call is to the doink in the Super Bowl. Chris, do you know oh, how yes. happy that made me? It was amazing. It, it should count for three points or it should count. It should count for two it points. Count or something for more, like it should count for more than one. Absolutely. It is so much harder to hit the upright or the crossbar than it is to just make a field goal. So they should absolutely count by more count for more. I was so sad. I did not do a Super Bowl prop bet on a doink. I did last year. I, I saw people. I saw people. Yeah, I know. I saw it. people who did it. Yeah. And you actually, people finally got it. So good for them. Oh, just incredible. Incredible. Uh, so let's wrap things up there on the doink more to come on this feed. Of course, all week from Andy and Ari and the rest of the gang, this will do it for power hour though. And we will, uh, we will let you go there for Chris Benini. I'm Nicole Auerbach and we'll talk to you next week.